love scaring people. In fact, if uh, you have the opportunity, privilege me to be my secretary, I will scare you. Now, uh, Intan's pregnant, so I don't want anything happening. So I take it easy on her kind of thing. I'm just like, oh, boil the water. None of that stuff. <laughs> but, so I take it easy on her now. But scaring people, I love it, but I don't like to be scared, just so you know. And um, I remember one time when I was a kid, I, we grew up in the old home uh, south of Winnipeg. And my brother, Sam, who's about six years older than me, he was getting ready to have a shower. So he turned on the light, which was attached to the fan, which most homes go, this one goes, you could hear it. You could hear it from any part of the house that somebody was in the washroom because the fan was just unbelievable. So he turned it on and then the, the, the door opened to the outside and I saw him walk down that dusty rose carpeted hallway to his room. And I says to myself, self, let's do something. That's it, right? So I walk into the bathroom and I get into the tub and I stand behind the curtain. I didn't know what was going on. Obviously not well planned, but executed. And uh, so he comes back and he slams the door, locks it, and then he does whatever people do in front of the mirror. And instead of me doing, saying anything, all I did was I stepped out like this. And ah! like he, his eyes were the biggest I've ever seen. Like this is alien stuff. And he yelled and freaked, and I saw my short life flash before my eyes. He says, if I didn't recognize you, I would have killed you. And he's a gentle guy, but I believed him. Like, he had my number. So time went on, and I grew up in the middle of the country, so when I turned off the lights, it was darker than dark. If you grew up in the prairies, you know what I'm talking about. So, I mean, it was, I get home, and I'm by myself in this haunted old house, it feels like, and I turn on the lights, and I, I, just, I just can't stand being alone sometimes with that stuff. So I turn on a bunch of lights, and then I crank the music, and then I'm, I'm feeling it, you know, like only a Mennonite boy can. So I'm, I'm in front of the, the uh, dark uh, window, which acts as a mirror, mirror to me now. So I'm just like feeling it, right? Woo! Doing some sweet moves. And then I'm by myself, I think. But as I'm looking in the mirrored window, all of a sudden another face appears. And it was my brother, the same one that I scared the eebie-jeebies out of. He was sleeping in the recesses of the house, and I'm cranking the tunes, and he comes around the corner just to see what's going on. Let me tell you, my heart was like, he got me back. That was good. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, fear, uh, fear, we have responses to fear. Most of the time, we have reactions to fear. And fear can drive us. We can uh, face our, our fears with faith or with courage or what many of us do, many of us have done, is when fear comes, we hit the road or we melt into the crowd of the conformists because fear is driving us to not want to stick out. So what everybody else is doing, we just want to melt into the background because this is just way too scary. Nehemiah has something to say about that. I'm so excited about today's message, Nehemiah chapter 4. Before we go, let's pray about this one. Lord, take Nehemiah chapter 4, and you know, this is an old book, but it is so good, and it has everything to do with today. So if somebody's going through obstacles or um, opposition today, I pray in Jesus' name that we would take advice from the narrative of Nehemiah and we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read quite a bit from it, so if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me. Nehemiah chapter 4. <clears throat> Here we go, starting verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. 
he ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and, and uh, the army of Samaria, he said, what are those lame old feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they actually finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Like, seriously, if even a fox climbed on that wall, he'd break down the wall of stones. And that was a big exaggeration because they're guesstimating it was about nine feet uh, in width. So this was a mega wall, but nonetheless, we're mocking. We're not taking measurements. Hear us, O God, Nehemiah says. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of a captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from their sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against us. But we prayed to our God. So we prayed to our God and posted a, a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, in verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is given out, and there's, no, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before we know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and, and told us ten times over, whenever you turn, they will attack us. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. So to give you the background, if you're new to us today, to give you the background is out of the ashes of this broken city, no walls around, uh, somebody comes to Nehemiah, had a cushy cup-bearing job, which means he was a, a food taster and a wine taster for the, the king. And he hears what's happening to his hometown, that they still are living in fear, that they're still living with no national identity, that they still really feel like exiles in their own place. He's broken down, and after quite some time, out of the ashes, out of the rubble, is born God-sized vision. So this vision is for him to finally go back to his people and rouse them up and rebuild this wall, which is an incredible feat, because when you think about it, the wall was magnificent, broken down, burned, and they had to move the rubble, and then also from that rubble rebuild this incredible wall, which actually only took 52 days. So now in, uh, in chapter 3, we see everybody getting involved. We see constantly the wording side by side or next to, next to, next to. So we see all sorts of people. We see goldsmiths. We see pharmacists. We see housewives. We see builders. We see everybody get involved. And they're working side by side, taking care of one another, but also working hard to rebuild this wall. It's incredible. And in chapter 4, we see a real intensity kind of opposition and obstacles to the mighty work that God has called these people to. So the first thing I want you to see is when God is at work, you can expect opposition. When God is at work, you can expect opposition. One guy said, when things are going well, watch out or pay attention. I mean, this is historical. 
in the, the Old Testament, New Testament, and for us, when things are going pretty well, then all of a sudden we take our hand off the plow a bit, and we're going, yeah, things are going good at, 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 at church. Things are fantastic at, at work. In fact, I think my marriage is going pretty good. And we sometimes, it seems, take our hand off and we become lazy or not pay attention anymore. And bam, all of a sudden something goes wrong. So really, we need to pay attention that when God is at work and good things are happening, expect opposition and be ready. New Testament says, be sober and alert, which we're going to see in a bit. And make no mistake, God was working in Nehemiah's time, but friends, God is working among us. We've had people just recently have babies, which is awesome, so we're going to have baby dedications. We've gone back to two services. We've had people come, and good things have happened in their lives, as you heard with Thanksgiving here. We've heard so many things. We've had people come to Christ uh, just in the last couple weeks in our place. So, so many things are happening. We have young couples getting married, all sorts of cool stuff going on. God is at work, and I do wonder, what else does he want to do? What else does he want to do? Why is White Rock Community Church here? Why are you here? And what can he do among us? What kind of vision is he brewing in our hearts? And we can expect opposition. But nothing makes you doubt yourself more than ridicule. Verses 1 to 3, we see ridicule. We see Sanballat and Tobiah. (laughs) Fox goes on that wall, it's going to crumble. So ridicule, what is that? Uh, and another word for it is contempt. And what does contempt mean? It means put down, mockery, sarcasm, taunting, scorn, you know, stuff like that. Like, it's kind of like, nice job, Harmon. Good job. Way to be late today. You know, something like that. And then he's just like shrinking in the background, right? By the way, he wasn't late. So he was just in my line of fire. But what, what ridicule is, is really a contempt. It's putting down, it's pushing people down so you feel better about yourself. Contempt contempt remember goliath and david who everybody knows that story david and goliath it's fantastic so you got david who's three apples high and then you got goliath who's 500 apples high i guess i'm not sure didn't wasn't there but nonetheless what happened is goliath and the philistines were mocking david his people and their god and david was just like do you hear what's going on and he's just a young guy he says he's mocking our god and everybody's like, yeah 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 But he was concerned about this, and finally he went out to meet Goliath in the field, and Goliath is laughing, and at first it's funny, but then after that he's annoyed. He says, you send a a punk? You send this little dribble to me? And he's mocking, he's contemptuous. He's calling him down. Sanballat called the Jews feeble, or wimps, or pushovers. So he's really jabbing it to them. You gotta remember, Sanballat is a governor, and with Everything in a mess around Jerusalem, it's fantastic because they never feel safe. They always feel a bit exiled. So Sanballat really was a good old bully. And he had power and people respected him because of fear. So now if they're going to get the security of their wall and then their identity back, wow, he's going to have a harder time getting levies, harder time getting taxes, harder time being a bully. Sanballat called the Jews feeble, wimps, pushovers. But you know what? It's interesting because God likes to use feeble people. God likes to use people that are weak. Let me read for you. 1 Corinthians 1 says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. So let me 
put yourself in this context. Brothers and sisters, here we go. White Rock Community Church. Brothers and sisters, White Rock Community Church, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So it's interesting because in this story and many of your stories, it's out of the rubble. It's out of the ashes. It's out of the addiction. It's out of the, ah, I've tried everything. Vision is born and God does something mighty when you come to an end of yourself. When you come to an end of yourself. So this group of enemies banded together, they probably weren't even buddies in the first place, but who knows, when it comes to fighting against God, lots of people join hands. This group of enemies banded together to form an alliance. So you have somebody in north, south, east, and west. All around, they were surrounded. You had Sanballat, the power-hungry governor of Samaria. Samaritans were half-breeds, partly uh, Jews and partly exiled other people from all over the place. And they were enemies, for some reason, to the Jewish people. Uh, and they had no problem fighting against the, uh, the Israelites. Tobiah the Ammonite, probably a Persian appointee. Jeshem the Arab, a king of Kedar that controlled the caravan routes for the Persians. You had the Ashdodites, which were one of the five principal cities of the Philistines. So everybody was an enemy and had no problem taking up arms against the Israelites here. And there's pressure to conform. We see throughout this chapter, there's pressure to conform. Like, you know what? Put down the swords. Uh, put down the rocks. Let's just go back to the way things were. At least we had Jerusalem. Yeah, we didn't have security or identity. But it, let's just, let's not, uh, let's not ruffle feathers. Romans 12, 1 and 2, which you probably by now is my favorite verse. Don't be conformed to this world or to this culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verses 7 to 9 here in, our, in, in uh, Nehemiah, these enemies of the project liked the status quo and they pressured everybody to fall in line. When God is calling you to something, there will be opposition. There will be opposition. And like I said before, it'll be easier to to just melt into the background of what everybody else is doing instead of, no, God has called me to this. I know it. God is up to something good. I want to be a part of it. I want to be counted. The enemy or opposition likes to use discouragement or depression or intimidation to make you doubt that God has actually spoken. I'm going to say that again. The enemy or opposition likes to use discouragement or depression or intimidation to make you doubt that god has actually spoken it's a spiraling like so you're just gonna feel like did he really say that it's kind of like adam and eve when, when the serpent came did god really say don't eat of that tree and starts to throw out doubt well maybe he didn't maybe he didn't mean that tree well yeah why why is he keeping that tree from us in the first place and we begin with doubting the enemy our opposition likes to use discouragement, depression, or intimidation to make you doubt that God has actually spoken. And nothing keeps us more doubtful than the emotion of fear. Verse 11 again. Also, our enemy said, before you know it, or even before you even see us, we'll be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. 
So now they're spreading this rumor, and you know how rumors spread and how gossip spreads. It, it goes fast. So suddenly now what they're saying is that they're going to have plants. They're going to put people all among the workers. And then all of a sudden you think you're working beside a buddy, but bam, you get one in the back. And it's just like, wow, so now they don't even trust each other. It's brilliant of Sanballat and Tobiah. Matthew 7 verse 5 reminds us, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. So they look all fluffy and you want to pet them. And all of a sudden, it's a ferocious wolf. Matthew 10, 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. I want to read something for you, and I really, you got to pay attention to this one, because I'm sensing that without our congregation, within our congregation, this portion, some of us need to hear this. I don't have anybody in mind, but what I'm saying is I just have a sense that this is a very important paragraph. Satan's strategy is always to divide and conquer. Always to divide and conquer. If he can convince you to separate yourself from a local congregation and remain unaffiliated with the body of Christ, he has won a major victory over you. Like the lion that hunts for prey, Satan looks looks for the straggler. He looks for a straggler, somebody that's been sifted, who is separated from the flock, the one that's weak, alienated for whatever reason, He's easy prey. 1 Peter 5, 8 warns us about this tactic of the devil. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour. If your enemy can convince you to remain alone, he's able to feed you lies about God. Please listen to this. If the enemy can convince you to stay alone, he uh, is able to feed you lies about God. He can feed you lies about the church lies about each other that nobody cares and lies about yourself. With no one to talk to about these things, it's extremely difficult to separate the lies from the truth and to understand what to do to remedy any problems. When you remain alone, God or Satan gets the kind of access to your life that makes it easy for him to manipulate your thinking. He loves it when you're hurt by the church. He loves it. He's smacking his lips when you feel uncared for. He revels in your broken marriage when you're not in a relationship with your kids. He just, he just loves it. And finally, I know even for myself, when I am feeling bummed, I don't want to really hang out with you guys. I would much rather be alone. I think you can understand what I'm talking about. Like when I'm feeling down, depressed, or just distressed, whatever, I'm just like, yeah. And I mean, we need alone times. But what I'm saying is when we pull away and all of a sudden in your mind there's a spiraling, like why doesn't anybody from the church ever call me? That pastor, by the way, what does he do all week? All he works is Sundays. Why doesn't he phone me, right? We can start listening to the lies that Satan's thrown our way or maybe we don't even need Satan. Maybe you got it enough in your own head. But we're driven by fear. Listen to this. Driven by fear. Fear maybe that you can't pay the bills. Uh, fear that you won't be a good mom or dad. Maybe fear that you won't even be a good Christian. Your, f- your fear of failure. Fear that you may m- make God look bad. Fear that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is good enough for everybody except you because if only God knew what I did. Fear that we might lose friendships. Fear, fear, fear. 
Fear drives many of us. And how often does fear keep you from doing the right thing and harness you into doing the wrong thing? Verse 12 reminds us that people are always willing to take the bad news or scary rumors and spread them like wildfire. Fear can drive us. Look for obstacles. Look for opposition when there's a God vision going on. Nehemiah, continuing on in verse 13, this is what it says. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid. Remember, that'd be a good one if you got your own Bible there. Take a pen and circle that puppy. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives and fight for your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that... and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. The work is extensive, spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whatever, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, come, join us. Join us there. And our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off their clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. So we see an incredible plan in place here. And when you face opposition, you can expect God to show up. So the very God that Nehemiah is serving here, the very God that showed up for Nehemiah is the same God that shows up when you're in opposition. Like, think about that. That still blows my mind. Nehemiah, Moses, Jesus, Peter, Martin Luther, Calvin. The same God that we worship. I love that because there's such history. God's been there, done that. I love it. So Sanballat knew that if Jerusalem was restored, the people would have safety and identity, and that would be a loss of power, and uh, it'd be hard for him to use his fear tactics. New Testament, we see constantly, watch and pray, watch and pray, which really means pay attention, post the guard and pray, or it means face your fears with faith. Hey, there's some scary things in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. But like I said, the devil wants you to just melt back into the crowd and then just shut up. Probably wasn't God-sized vision. Zip it. Just go back to what you were doing before. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world.
Watch and pray. A pivotal verse, and I know you're taking out your highlighters and pens. 4, verse 14. I want to say this one again. 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons and for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your home. I love this. Remember God and fight. Go for it. You know? I, I just love it. It's, I think it encapsulates what Nehemiah is all about. Get her done, but he's constantly pointing toward God. He's constantly pointing to his relationship with God. Same with us. We constantly have to remember what Jesus has done for us. We've got to remember in the dark what God has shown us in the light. Things are crummy in your life right now? Think back. You've got to remember. Jog your memory. What God has, how he's been faithful to you when things are going well. And if that's hard for you to do, then show up to church and tell somebody because we want to be a family to help you build that wall of faith for you. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. Some of us are totally bummed. Some of us have rough weeks. Some of us have rough months. Come on over here. Because there's going to be a time or a month where I need you to stand in the gap. I need you to work side by side with me. Jody and I, my wife and I, we had the awesome privilege of, of being good friends with a Muslim couple. And as we were uh, working with them and just enjoying life with them, it was obvious that what was happening is there was a rift in their marriage. And we got to be a, a part of some really cool, significant uh, aspects in their life. But you could see it slowly going away. She was going her own Canadian route. He was going tighter and tighter with his Muslim uh, background. And then all of a sudden, she was in her frustration. He, she used all sorts of interesting words. But what she was trying to say, he won't even fight for me. So here she was just complaining and saying it so loud. I mean, he just doesn't care. Like, I'm, I'm about to leave. I'm going to divorce. I'm, I'm walking out. And he just stands there. Doesn't it feel good to be fought for? Doesn't it feel good to have somebody in your corner? Like, I think so. I love it. If one of you disses me in front of my wife, you're in for it. She's quite the kitty, right? Watch out. I remember even this was kind of stupid, but on my my honeymoon in Mexico, uh, we're up on, I think, on the ninth floor, and people were partying like crazy, like crazy on the eighth. And my wife said something, and somebody yelled and dissed her. And I, like a total fool, I went out, and I said, hey! and I just yelled, and I stood up for my wife. And then I shrunk back, and I what am I doing, right? But he listened to me, thank God, but because there's a whole whack of them in there. I could have been a beating, like, wow. But nonetheless, I fought for my wife, and she's like, yeah, you know? I'm still living on the fumes. But fight for your marriage, and that's what he's saying with that kind of passion and intensity. Fight for what you know is right. Fight for the vision that God has given you. Fight for your kids. Verse 20, our God will fight for us. I love it. They're holding a trowel. They're holding a sword. Oh, by the way, God's fighting for us. You know, it's just awesome. Nehemiah station guards around the walls had the out-of-towners sleep inside the city walls, and many worked with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. The point is they were always on guard, but fear did not stop them from accomplishing God's vision. 
They were always on guard, always on guard, and still moving with the vision that God had given them. Matthew 6.25, I alluded to this before. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more important than food and body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't even sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat, or what are we going to drink, or what are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all this stuff, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Or I'm going to throw in there, seek first the vision. Seek first the vision that he has planted in you. Then all these things will be given to you as well. Remember the Lord. Recall his faithfulness. Recite it in your head. Meditate on it. He is great and awesome. Meditate on it. Think about it as a mantra. Now some of you might get the eebie-jeebies. He's saying a mantra? We all have mantras. I guarantee you, that there's times in your life where you are repeating something over and over and over again. And you're, there's times where I'm going for a run, and 20 minutes in, all of a sudden, ding! For 20 minutes, I've been thinking about a person that's on my nerves. And I just, I don't, you know? And I'm going, wow, I haven't been thinking about the blessings of my wife, my kids, my church, you guys, whatever. You know what I'm saying? So I've been in this mantra or in the cycle of thinking about the things that bother me, and I haven't been thinking at all about the vision that God has given us or about the blessings I have on you guys. Sometimes we need to throw out the old answering machine tape and put in a new one. And it could be again, you against somebody else or it might be even thoughts about yourself. I'm not after self-help here. I'm after, what does God think of you? Like for a second here, who cares what you think of yourself? What does God think of you? Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter how much you've screwed up. What does God think of you? Pretty big deal to send your son to die on the cross for my sins and yours. So I'm thinking he kind of likes you. I think he loves you. Remember, remember in the dark what God has shown you in the light. We know that Nehemiah had great responsibility, and I'm sure if he knew of James 1 verse 5, he's saying, oh God, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given. Wearsby says opposition is not only evidence that God is blessing, but it's also an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for growth. You guys remember the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis when he uses Aslan, the lion, is a representative of God. So whenever Aslan enters the story, he would say to the kids, um, you have listened to fears, child, said Aslan. Come, let me breathe on you. Now forget them. Are you brave again? I love that. And really, some of us have this initiated relationship with Jesus Christ, but we have not continued on with the vision and continued on with who you are in Christ. 
you're still kind of almost like the feeble wall. You're so delicate that what does, you know what? You know what? What does Christ think of you? Take that to the bank. What does Christ think of you? What vision has he borne out or what vision does he want to bear out of the ashes of your broken life? So I want to conclude with this. Hebrews 12 gives a fantastic picture. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, or the vision, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God, throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and you won't lose heart. Folks, where there is God-sized vision, there will be opposition. You will want to fear and become like everybody else. That's, na- that's our nature. I'm asking you to rethink that one. And send God, maybe. Pick up your trowel, pick up your spear, whatever, but send God. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Folks, our story today casts light on no shortage of bullies and people willing to discourage us. Oh, there's a whack load. Just turn on the news. It's depressing. So there's a whack load of, there's no shortage of bullies out there. It's against all odds kind of story, this Nehemiah story. It has a dynamic to go get them kind of main characters and many courageous unnamed people But really, this story of Nehemiah screams, not only of Nehemiah and some cool stuff happening, it screams of a promise-keeping and most powerful God. That's who this story is about. And that's what he wants your story to be about. God in your life. God in your life. So what does God have in mind for White Rock Community Church and for the gospel here on the peninsula in Surrey, White Rock, Langley, and beyond? Where is he taking us? And I I want that question to haunt you. And he may just be using discouragement and all that to keep you sitting there in the pew because you've got nothing to offer. And that's not true. What does God think of you? He's given each of you a gift. Now get on with it. Let's come together and figure it out. But we got something pretty cool here, a God that is always with us, never forsakes us. No matter what we've done or where we're going, God is for you. We have this relationship with Jesus Christ. That's pretty good news. How are we going to be a part of that vision? Two things, I think. Our first step is to stick together in Christ. You might get hurt. Somebody sitting beside you in this room might hurt you and say something rude. And you walk away like, I'm done with church. And guess who's smacking their lips? The evil one. He has just sifted you away from the body. Well, news alert. I grew up in a family of nine kids. Man, I got offended lots of times. Man, I did a lot of offending. Man, some of those brothers of mine are jerks. We're still brothers. We're still a family. Get over it. Right? Well, same with sometimes you got to get over it. Make things right or whatever. But come on. 
the devil wants to sift you apart and then you're by yourself and God doesn't like you, the church doesn't like you, they hurt your feelings, all sorts of stuff. And all of a sudden you're totally by yourself. You're either, you're, you're no longer a threat or he'll continue to work on you with the disillusionment, with discouragement, with depression, and pretty soon you're quiet. There's nothing victorious about you anymore. So our first step is to stick together in the body of Christ. Secondly, in the spirit of thanksgiving, Romans 1 says that he gave people over to their own lusts and desires. He kind of said, okay, I've tried. And two marks of that scary situation is that people no longer gave God glory and they no longer gave him thanks. The mark of victory, the mark of a person following Christ is also the mark of thanksgiving. It's not about you. It's not patting your back. It's thank you, God. To combat an individual spirit, to combat a disillusionment, to combat depression, you need to be thankful to God and then also thankful for the people that he's put around you. A spirit of thanksgiving. Those, I think, are two major things. Don't let yourself be sifted. Stick together in Christ and combat this individual spirit and depression and disillusionment with thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the story and what you're doing in us, in our story. Lord, uh, we're here for a reason, every one of us. Everybody that has darkened that door today, we're here for a reason. And I pray in Jesus' name that, that whatever the background that's holding us back from either initiating a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if we've just been sitting warm in a pew, or if we've been sifted and we're just out there. You know, I, I pray in Christ's name that you would speak truth into that person this morning that they would realize that you want a relationship with every person in this room. And Lord, you want to uh, give vision where there's ashes, where there's broken rubble, where there's a mess. That's where you work best. And help us to trust you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for not giving up on us. Thank you for wanting to use us. And Lord, we're just thankful for where we live, thankful for each other, and thankful for such a good God through Jesus Christ.